Welcome to Minority Corner, where we take an introspective look at the world through an intersectional lens. I'm James, he, him. I'm a queer political activist, actor, comedian, self-proclaimed sexy blurred. That's a um, black nerd. And each week I'm joined in the corner by other fabulous minorities and some allies tackling the news, pop culture, politics, media, entertainment, and history with a little self-care, self-love sprinkled throughout, all for our own personal and collective empowerment. Hey, 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 corner kids. Well, Lauren Carter's in the his house. Oh, yes. My homegirl, Lauren Carter, is here. She is a tech guru in the tech sphere, and she is here to talk about all kinds of things with us today. Y'all, I know you love them, and I'm kind of meh about them, but we need to talk about Drake, and uh, not his latest bops, but... What is up with his relationship with underage girls? We need to have a conversation. Is this just going to be another documentary coming out 20 years from now? And it's like, oh, maybe we should have paid attention. Lauren Carter has some thoughts. I have some thoughts. We're going to get into it. We talk about the tragic disappearance and finding of missing Gabby Petito, but also missing white women syndrome. It is tragic in a bigger conversation when any woman, regardless, is gone. But we also talk about the numbers of underreported black women who go missing all the time, and the media does nothing to talk about and bring attention to this. But also, let's stop disappearing black women or women in general. And black celebrities have a very interesting relationship when they talk about COVID. Not just Nicki Minaj. And then continuing our celebration of Latinx Hispanic Heritage Month, Selena Dodd Month. Oh, Lauren has some thoughts on that. Well, I'm going to give you six queer Latinx folks you should know about. And we are going to celebrate here during this Heritage Month. Let's get into it. It's time to learn, laugh, and play right here on Minority Corner. There's a lot going on. He should have been canceled. Ignition is not that great. Sorry, I said it. Yes, <laughs> but let's talk about bump and grind. It's okay. I mean, listen, like my brother, and by the way, we're on the show. Um, <laughs> you like that? Just let you know, we were starting the conversation. Thanks. You like that cold open, Lauren Carter here in the house, and we are started off heated. <laughs> we are. <laughs> getting right into it. I was like, hey, Lauren, you a big Drake fan? Lauren's like, yeah. I'm like, well, we about to go get into it today. <laughs> I haven't. So for full disclosure, I have not listened to the CLB album yet. That's fine. But what I just want to make sure. Here's the thing. Uh, there's just a lot of awakening about powerful men in the industry and what we let them get away with and stuff like that. And here's my thing. I'm always telling people, you can listen to the music, but also, like, I encourage everyone to hear the full story of things, right? right. Like, I, like, if you're going to listen to Michael Jackson music still, great. Watch Fighting Neverland just to even out your scope of things, you know? I have listened. Um, I mean, I listened to, I mean, obviously I listened to Drake's music. Um, one of the things I've actually started to do is try to buy the records. That's the thing I'm trying to do. Um, because I hate, like, buying the music from a service. You're really only purchasing the license. But mm. that, we can get into that Oh, you're getting to the, well, okay. I'm not giving up my Apple music. I need my music now. I like I to know. highlight it. I know. Buy a record and play it where. I, I know. Nothing to play it on. 
I mean, there's it's a lot of work to re- take the record recording and put it into digital. How do you? You are a runner, so what do you do when you go on your runs? You bring this a. This is me and my thoughts. Sometimes you come along too. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I'm listening to James uh, okay. in the Minority Corner. All right. Okay. Well, I'm super excited to have you here because I feel like you and I live minor- Minority Corner is people in of intersections getting together, having conversations about everything. From it's politics, like it's just Our us. And that's why I was like, Lauren, we need to start talking while we're uh, there's a microphone and recording <laughs> happening. I'll tell you, there are some episodes where I listened and I was like, this feels interesting. I feel like I just talked to James about this like three days ago. <laughs> Sometimes it are literally conversations that you and I are having in, and I'm like, oh, I got to talk about this on the podcast. And like, oh, you, you'll you send me an article or something. So you've been a contributor to this podcast <laughs> for a very long time. I'm proud. <laughs> I would actually say just a little, like how you and I, so we used to work together yes. and it was literally friendship at first sight. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but like, cause I, I'd been working at our company and sadly it was the murder of George Floyd that really brought right. us together. Right. And our company did a town hall on race to, to gather everybody together and they weren't expecting as many. You and I were both like facilitators of like the group. That makes sense. And so we had jumped in. You're like, I volunteer for so many things. I can't keep track of. <laughs> You're like, sure, yes. <laughs> but you and I had we went to a pre meeting. This is all virtual. Um, we went to a pre meeting before, and you popped up, and I popped in, and we both were like, Hey, like there just was this like I think excited to see like another, another black, black person. person. You're like, I need this right now. I need to be connected to <sighs> another black person, even though I'm stuck at home yeah. and living in my misery. Yep. Um, and at the time, it's so interesting that you um asked me that because I just had this conversation with my girlfriend at work. Mm-hmm. Um and we were talking about what it was like for us like last June Mm. Uh, we started down that path and I think we ended up in a kind of divergent a divergent path like Mm -hmm. a different path but just the experience of how people how our white allies came to us Mm -hmm. in like help how do we how do we move forward right yeah Um, and I don't think that was true of anyone at work but like outside of work people had all sorts of questions and needed all sorts of guidance and i had i started doing a couple instagram videos because i think the one thing that really started to bother me was like people were like oh we're woke and i'm like hold up y'all woke is not like it's a state of being it's yeah. like it's literally like it's and sometimes you fall asleep sometimes i fall asleep and i'm like oh i gotta get awake right awake. <laughs> and then to get back to topic then you're like oh drake really only talks to 16 year old yeah, girls and you're like what <laughs> I was actually, I was literally about to be like, okay, now that you've distracted me from the actual conversation that we had started on, and I, I, I want to applaud you right now, Lauren. I usually don't applaud so early on in the show, but oh, you named the thing that I was literally about to call out, and I'm curious, because like you, I, I think like, I, the only, I know how, I'm... I know Drake from Degrassi. I'm about to put my same, old man hat. Same. No from Degrassi. Shot in the wheelchair. Um, and then like Hotline, Hotline Bling. I don't know a lot that's of Drake's late. music. That's late I in the know. game because and that's about my only thing. Um, I think for me, it was like I'm still, I'm still like way back in like I don't know, I guess like 2010, 2011. What did he do? Um, when his his track his track with Rihanna, Take oh, Care. Yes. That oh, Take re- Care. That was that like that was my jam, yeah. and that really hit my soul. 
Um, What's that one where there's like there's a there's a Drake and Rihanna song? I love me a Drake and Rihanna bop. Like I will sign up for it. There's one where like she's working too much or something. Oh, uh, work. The song is called Work. No, not oh. that one. There's like uh, oh god, I think it might be actually Take Care. Actually, uh, I got the melody in my head. Anyways, but they got some good bops. But back to Drake. He so there's a whole entire thing because the R. Kelly trial is happening, right? And I guess R. Kelly also worked on Certified Lover or like a track on there. I don't know, and that he, he didn't get credited or, or he got credited. I don't know that he worked on it. Okay. I think he was my understanding is that he was sampled. Mm. Um, so because you sample someone, you have to technically give them credit. I think that's the way that works. I'm not a music expert. Okay. Um, I work in for all y'all that don't know me. I <laughs> like work I've in, I work in tech. You don't work in the music <laughs> um, industry. So I don't, I don't really know, but I think because he sampled, I don't know, but the, to be fair, Drake, Drake samples lots of people all the time. So I'd have to really, I, I don't really dig through the credits. Um, mm. a ton on Grace oh, you don't after you, well, you got your record and then you don't just spend time looking at the back of your record. Well, I just like, got the one. I just got that this? make it happen. Mariah Carey out that one single. And let me tell you, that record gets played to death. Love it. <laughs> like middle of the that's like gotta be the best part about working from home. I just, you know, having a rough day, go in, put the, put the record on the record player. Yes. Y'all I have a record player in my house. Uh, and this is not the only record I have in my house. Um, and I put it on and I'm like, because I was home last week by myself, the volume was turned way up go. and a little dance party mm, in the room. You the house yourself. Yeah. All right. You could do it up. That doesn't stop you sometimes. Sometimes. What was it? I am. A, <laughs> you were texting back and forth and you're like, I don't think my, my partner's ready for this because <laughs> I'm every woman's about to come on and it's <laughs> I Friday. Was, I was like, I was at my desk writing code or typing notes or whatever. And I was out there. I made, I played that song like three times. I, I was going to start my follow. I was like, uh, I think I got played a few different times, but back to Drake so you said this earlier Drake has an affinity for underage like girls and the track record is like Billie Eilish Georgia Smith Millie Bobby Brown from right. uh what is it not Survivor not, what is it the kids with she's got the power she's 11 okay Stranger Things um Bella Harris and there's there's just he makes friendships with these underage girls and I have seen enough of these like documentaries read enough of these blogs that like I see smoke and there just might be yeah. fire. Yeah. I am kind of curious about that. Cause I think Drake's son is now two or three years old. He's old enough that he has started showing up at shows. Like Drake brings him along. He's showed up at the Staples at some show at the Staples center recently. Um, I know I see, I've seen him on Instagram a couple times. Um, yes. So Drake does, I, I would be curious if he's outgrown that habit because he now has a son of his own mm. and like now his attention is elsewhere. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that if that's how that works. I'm not, de I'm not defending it. No. Yeah. But what, what I will say, <laughs> this isn't CNN and you're not brought right, on here I'm, to defend I'm, I'm, I'm not defending it. I never defend it, but my, I guess, clap back quote unquote, if you will to that is always that. Drake is the one rapper that goes out of his way to always recognize black educated women. And um, so we were chatting about whether or not his son has changed him. Yes. And I, I would be curious to see if him spending more time with his son has redirected that energy. Yeah, I guess my thing is based on because I consider myself to be a journalist of the journalists. Like I re I follow the school of Ronan Farrow and like all the documentaries and stuff like that. My thinking is, is that usually what it is like for this predatory sort of behavior is that it's like um, it's something that needs to be healed. And so it's not I don't believe something that will just be stopped. It might be 
uh, paused, but I just think like if it is, if he has a predilection for underage human beings, uh, history shows that it's gonna just gonna keep happening. Yeah. And my thing is like I just don't because there's all these tweets. Someone tweeted out that like remember when we found out that Drake was grooming kids and we all stopped talking about it because it was ruining the vibe. And then someone else tweeted. Like, uh, y'all just got to ignore stuff like this until the lawsuits and documentary come out. And I was like, I, I mean, yes, that is an energy. <laughs> but I, so the reason I still the reason I still buy his music and subscribe to his music, subscribe is probably the right word right now. I haven't bought a record yet, <laughs> mostly because I don't I haven't gotten a space in the cubicle of records. Yeah, you got to hold off for the good good. Yeah, um, I think for me. It's hit how he elevates college-educated black women, right? And mm. those two very, two very opposite ends. Of, maybe they're kind of opposite ends of the spectrum because, right. like, maybe he's elevating college-educated women because he's like preying on the women in college. Oh, I don't, right, I don't know. Yeah, that that's right. that's now a path, right? Yeah. Um, but like he really does, he really does uplift those women, mm-hmm. and he talks about it a lot in his right. songs. Um, and I think for me, like. How often as a college educated black woman do I get uplifted like that? Right. Yeah. How many is there like, especially like by other like men as well, like right. who are like, I'm going to help you out. I mean, it's usually sisters helping out sisters. Right. Right. And then the sisters helping out everybody else too. Cause everyone's like, can you help me? And can you do this for me? And like black women get it done. I, I think like, I just, that, that quote about, are we going to wait till the documentary? And I don't want to wait till the documentary. And I think I, but your point is also valid of like a wait and see, but I just want to make sure that we're not, I don't know enough. I just want to make sure we're not just turning a blind eye. I just, if we're all just diligent. And if you, if you were listening to this podcast and you see him doing something, you, you alert the Be people. responsible. Be yeah, responsible. Because there's all these people in the R. Kelly trial who are coming out. There's a ring of people that were complicit in this. Like he jizzed on but, a girl's face and so, made her stand there and have a conversation in front of his assistant. Like so many famous people, regardless of their race, mm-hmm. have that ring of people protecting them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to talk and about the, the Kardashians, but like they're a great example. Yeah. The Richies great example mm-hmm. i mean this kind of rolling into the lionel richie I mean, well i mean those are his kids <laughs> those are his kids right nicole richie, nicole yeah. richie. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but this is kind of rolling into the next topic of like talking about Nicki minaj okay, and yeah. buster rhymes right like also black right how many ring great example that never is talked about whitney houston mm-hmm. how much of a ring was put around her mm-hmm. and like once you get famous there is a ring that's put around mm-hmm. you. Right. Um, so maybe, but in Whitney's case, uh, but this is the thing that goes back to with the Drake, like hurt people using Oprah's school of thought, hurt people, hurt people. What happened to you? And with Whitney, mm-hmm. when you watch that documentary, what happened to her, she was sexually abused as a child. And then she started doing drugs at the age of 16 and couldn't be with her lesbian lover. Right. I think she started doing drugs because she had to be in the closet. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that mm-hmm. was like, like you were talking about like what behavior, what, underlying things are driving the behavior so being out in mm-hmm. 1992 is no. not was not, not a, that was not a thing especially for a black woman oh, to no. be queer in 1992 mm-hmm. you could not do no, that couldn't do it i mean my heart breaks for i her. know my heart Poor robin I, know. <laughs> I have i have thoughts about robin okay because i don't do you think she's gonna make the move they just casted there's a movie yeah they just casted somebody for bobby brown I, and this you know, is not I'm a really lifetime not, original movie. I'm not They're ready. Doing, I know it's. Too I'm not soon. ready for a Whitney. You know, Whitney Houston has been soon. gone like seven or eight years. I think at least. 
I feel uh, like you just really need some distance. Like, I feel like it needs to be us when we're in our 60s and they're like, now it's time to, like, and there'll be more time. Because here's the thing. If you do a Whitney Houston movie now, you're going to have to redo it in 30, 40 years when more information comes yeah. out. You know, like, yeah. you should wait. There's a lot. There's a lot to unbox in her life in general. But, I, you know, I do have, I feel like I need more information on Robin. Right. Like, like we talk about Drake and we have all this information on Drake contacting all these women. What information do we have about Robin? She loved her. She loved Whitney. I'm sure she did. But like, what kind of role did she play in Whitney's life beyond just being a lover? Because well, I know she wasn't like, point, let's do drugs. That was Bobby Brown who right. he was like, let's do drugs. Right. Right. Or but she, that's, that's again, Whitney trying to run, run, like be part of this societal norm of like, Oh, you must be hetero as a mm -hmm. black woman in and all that pressure. I mean, I get anxiety just doing a Zoom presentation. I couldn't imagine having to go sing the national anthem like in front she of everybody. Crushed it. <laughs> Best memory ever. Uh, so I do. So we we're talking about there are because we got to talk about our people. You, we, you, and I are for. We are a part of the rooting for everybody black parade, but we also are not afraid to call out folks in the cookout. You got to be responsible. I mean, <laughs> we got to check out our people because linked lineage, when they out there messing up, it looks bad on us too. Right, right. So I know this is not necessarily something we plan to talk about, but like one of the things we talk about at my table is like who comes to the cookout, right? Because mm. Joe Biden gets invited, <laughs> but we know he's just bringing cups. Right. We know he's just responsible. Oh Joe, just bring God. cups you and we're going to sit you at the table with Don Lemon and somebody's going to watch you. you I like Don always... Lemon. I feel like he's going to graduate from the table. Uh, soon. Yes. Yeah. But you know who got kicked out? Van Jones. Oh, and I was yeah. I, I, I went to his knew, show. I, I went to his show. I went to his show twice because he used to have, he had a show on CNN. I met him. I asked him some advice about like my career and stuff like that. And I was like, OK, I'm going to try to make Van Jones like my mentor. But like, I has to just come to think because he does good things where he was he reached across the aisle to work with like Jaron Kushner to get to finish the work that oh, the Obama administration already started with the First Step Act, I believe, with get, helping folks who were incarcerated. So I think that it was when they got incarcerated, helping them to either I think get out earlier to get out earlier. Something around prison reform or something. But it was the work that Obama had already started. And then the Trump administration had continued to finish and he worked with Kushner on it. He does some good things. And I feel like that's why he's always like a sleep with one eye open kind of situation for me. Cause then this will go viral and say something. He'll say, like, yes, he, man. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, which side of the, like, which team confused. are I get you whiplash on? I'm like, <laughs> you know what? Today you're not invited. Tomorrow you are like, you're here, but you're here for the moment. You're, you don't get it. You don't get like a standing invite. Oh, um, but I do, I want to make sure that we touch on this though, because, so we'll put a pin. We were going to talk about Buster Rhymes and, and Nicki Minaj saying foolishness yes. around vaccinations and right. whatnot. And their freedoms, as I like to say. Um, and, and this is also too, it's interesting because it's like, there's some rich, they are rich black people. Like I that's, mean, they're in a different world. Even if they aren't rich, right? Cause Whitney Houston wasn't rich, believe it or not. Um, bringing that full circle. Mm, she wasn't rich because she drugs. did a lot of cover songs. <laughs> oh, and um, that. but we took that in two separate directions. You were like cover songs. and like, she did all those drugs. <laughs> that was probably Bobby's money, honestly. <laughs> um, but you know, she, she wasn't rich, but she was influential, right? Mm -hmm. These are people of influence 
standing up on plot. I mean, Nicki Minaj got on Instagram and said she wasn't going with Instagram or Twitter. I think it was Instagram. I saw the Instagram about how she got invited to the White House, that was not true. Uh, uh, which apparently is not true. They were like, we're going to give her a phone call and say, like, we'll talk to you about like how vaccinations work. Nicki Minaj knows how vaccinations work. <laughs> She's got to do her research. Didn't you see her tweet? She's like, I'm going to go do some research on this, She's, everybody. She is very smart. I know someone that went to high school with her. Okay. Um, and she's she's not a she's not a she's she's a fairly educated cookie. Mm-hmm. Um, so for her to be like, I need to know how vaccinations work. Girl, <laughs> did you sleep through science class? It, like, yes. I mean, well, it's a distraction I, from her law, her her lawsuit trouble, or her like with her with her boo. Her right. Um, it's right. just a distraction from her, her from her legal troubles. Is is a, a leading theory that that's out there. Um, I want to switch gears to something that uh, I texted you as soon as I was at the gym, and I just kept seeing all of this news coverage. Oh yeah. Um, there's just this news coverage, like because uh, I, I was at the gym. For a very long time, and the, all the coverage was about. Uh, I could just, I could tell it was just a missing white girl because it just kept showing. I don't even know her. Honestly, we found her, and I don't even know. I honestly don't even know the woman's name. Her name is Peace Be With Her, Gabrielle Petito. Okay. I just found out her name recently. But also, too, all this stuff had happened. I didn't know her name. I just was like, oh, there's a missing white girl. That's how I feel. Yeah. And I want to put this as like a caveat is always sad and tragic when a life is is lost or, or cut short. And that's not like I'm not here to throw like shade or shame about that at all. And it's very tragic. But then my first thought, like it was taking over. It's the weekend and it was hours of news coverage and then i go away on i'm on saturday and then sunday i come back and it's still more and more reporting and it's all it's msnbc it's cnn i just keep thinking i'm like this it's is the story sad. of the moment essentially but there has to be also other things that are also happening in the right. world and my immediate thought was like i've never seen like a missing black woman or indigenous woman or any woman of color stop the news cycle well <sighs> I've never seen. Well, that we happen. do stop the news cycle when we are killed by the police. That's, right. That's um, the only time that mm-hmm. we stop the news cycle. Yeah. That's how we met. Right. George yep. Floyd. I hate yep. to say it. Yep. And I mean, we to take a step back to last year for a second. You know, I think the conversation we don't have often enough is that George Floyd and um, Christian. Oh, Christian Cooper. Christian Cooper. My boyfriend. Happened on the. Oh, that's great. Okay. <laughs> Um, I will always have like an, in my head we've had this like long toward romance similar to like Taj Mahari don't ask me why I went down a rabbit hole on Twitter once where like <laughs> Taj Mahari was like my boyfriend for the longest time and then I saw like went down far enough and I saw him with some chick and I was like it's over Taj Mahari we are breaking up but in my head I went down this like fantasy of like I'm with Taj Mahari it's not great <laughs> this is why I'm not on social media <laughs> Um, for those of you not watching, James just did a hair flip. Uh, <laughs> I did because I'm sad. <laughs> um, but Christian Cooper and this is not mm. talked about enough. Christian Cooper and George George Floyd happened on the exact oh, same day. That's when it was so triggering because it was like the juxtaposing those two situations of like we know what could have happened to Christian Cooper had uh, the uh, the wrong cop showed up or the whatnot. only black man to stop the news cycle. And, and to be fair, the story wasn't even about him. It was about Amy Cooper. Technically, it wasn't even about him. But really, the only time they stop the news, they run a news cycle like that is for when black people are 
killed by police. Yeah, and the statistics are very like a, there's um, a, a group called Black and Missing Foundation, mm-hmm. um, and you talk about the amount of you know. Um, I heard one statistic that was like people of color make over uh, like 60% of the missing people or 40%. It's just a fair amount, but it's still the amount of coverage that ends up happening. You just don't see it. I will say, because you did talk about Don Lemon, is that uh, I was on foxnews.com. Oh, Lord. What did you, find? <laughs> you always got to check your other sources and see oh, what Lord. happens. What did they I'm say? always intrigued where like when Fox News, like I'll Google something and Fox News comes up about it. And I'm like, OK, let's see how they're. You know, talking about it. And their thing was like when this was happening, Don Lemon suggests skin color and privilege can account for um, the family not talking to police. So keep in mind that so the family is not speaking to the police because of their skin color and their privilege. Well, and that's what Don, Don Lemon was saying is like it is a privilege that. So, again, as I was talking to you and the white girl was missing before, her, you know, she was, you know, fortunately, she's, you know, not here. She, Found dead. Um, and I said to you, it's like, mm, it's always the boyfriend. And then I said to you, where's your boyfriend? <laughs> and as we all know, he was out of town. <laughs> oh, my God. And, I think, uh, cause, and here's the thing is that, like, I, I think, again, just when there's a few different things that, like, we as a society and culture need to wake up to that the you mentioned this, that, like, the way that we just treat women in this society, first and foremost, and nine times out of ten, I don't know if this is the right statistic. Women are second-class citizens in the United States. Well, and it usually is, like, when there is violence or, or murder or sexual assault, it's usually by someone that they know. Yes. And so it's like, these are the real conversations. I'm like, you need to be scared about the it's person north, that you're It's north next of, like, you. 70% of yeah. sexual assaults and, and, and murders on women north of that statistic happen by people that they know by people that they know. Uh, and it's very interesting when i hear these me too stories to hear these women be say things like i never suspected that my boyfriend or my boyfriend it, it's not always the boyfriend sometimes it's like the friend. boyfriend's best friend yeah. or like the hanger on friend mm-hmm. man friend um y'all ladies know what i'm talking about the, the one man that you're like oh friends just friends like watch out for him and keep an eye out um you know you just have to consciously you know i do a lot of, of running and cycling um and as a runner i first of all after george floyd last year i never left the house mm. without my phone since mm-hmm. i think maybe a handful of days um but i don't leave the house without my phone mostly because then i can be tracked mm. um mm-hmm. maybe not good to share that publicly um, <laughs> i know where she is <laughs> but my boyfriend can also track me and that's the one that you need to watch out for i'm just kidding <laughs> i can add you too it's james i can add you to the list so you can get that 6 a.m tag <laughs> i'm just saying it's always the boyfriend keep an eye out i sometimes even when i'm dating somebody i think like hmm this man might murder me and not like he's done anything but you just never i'm like how well do i know him like it's always the boyfriend always the closest person <laughs> What I'm was so I watching recently? Listening to recently? I feel like I was watching or reading one of these stories recently. Um, in fact, I was reading a story recently about a woman. She, I think this was in Runner's World, actually. Um, and the way she recuperated from her tragedy was through running. So I think it was mm-hmm. Runner's World. Mm-hmm. But her husband burned her house to the ground 
with her children no. in it. Oh, wow. And, you know, for a number of years, there had been problems in their marriage. And even when they first started, they had started as coworkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had a boyfriend at the time, but he was like one of those machismo men, like, oh, you're not going to end up with him. You're going to end up with me or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and she did end up with him. But, you know, like once they got married, she decided not to work anymore. And then it became a financial problem and a, a, fi- a fidelity problem. And the problems just a gamble. I think there was a gambling problem mixed in there. And confronting him became more and more. It became a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is a person she trusted. And now she's like, I never want to talk to them again. So to speak to your point, it's always it's always the people closest to us that we think we can trust with our lives that are the people that take advantage of us. Well, and I think like the common thing that I, I see there is, well, one to the point with close the loop on the, uh, what Don Lemon was saying, which he was right, that there was a privilege that the boyfriend was able to be like, no. pl- I don't yeah. want to talk to you. And they were like, oh, what do we got to do? And now that fool is missing. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is I just couldn't imagine, like I'm trying to think of any black man who's like, I don't want to talk to the police, that he ends up dead. Like it just doesn't. It's not, yeah, doesn't, it's not a thing. Know, but then the other thing about it is, is like, again, we need more like men's groups and I'm not talking about like men's rights groups. I'm talking about men's groups where they actually talk and deconstruct like what's going on in, in, inside and, 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 and talking about like their feelings and processing them because that's where a lot of this is being pent up into like energy of like men don't know how to deal with their emotions and their feelings and, and, and spaces and their own insecurities. And then it burnt goes and then they burn the woman in her, their house down. Well, the last thing I want to do is just talk about that. Gwen rest in power, Miss Gwen Eiffel, cause she to- coined the term, uh, uh, missing white woman syndrome. And it is essentially what happens. Like when a missing white woman, she would say this as a journalist, she was like, if there was a missing white woman that was, and they're usually, um, middle-aged, like, uh, suburban, you know, this woman was young. She was like 20 something, wasn't she? Well, okay. Well, there's always an anomaly, but That's she true. wasn't like, but also there's, they're never like a poor, like, it's always something that like, the girl next door there's just something about but you'll never find like an asian woman who's like that, that girl next door and like again i think the what i would like to see is no women go missing right first and but foremost i would also like to, like let's talk about the other women who are also let's get some other attention to find these other you know missing women because they just become so invisible but she was saying how like it would shut down a news cycle and she's like we couldn't you know talk about anything else and that like again like if there was a missing black woman, if it is talked about, it's sort of like, what was she up to? It was like, you know, she, why would she go there? It's, it's almost yeah. like, like she put herself in that position, right? right. Or what those, was she wearing? Yeah. Right? Like she so was, what you was know, she wearing? Question. She was like rambunctious with her life or she made questionable life choices. There's not this. Cause she got drunk one time in a bar, right? <laughs> yeah. They're just like, they won't have that same sort of like innocence that they will attach because it was just not uh, afforded that. So I don't know. It's a per- it's um, okay. We're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back and well, I'm just gonna read what the title of this article says. I I'll <laughs> we're gonna talk about some uh, LGBTQ Latinx people you should know. Soylent, Soylent, da 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 Soylent, Soylent, Soylent. Yes, that's right. We're talking about Soylent. 
the original food tech company. It makes delicious and nutritious nutrition products in convenient formats like liquid, which is sometimes my favorite because sometimes I just need a grab and go. I ain't got time to make a big old breakfast, but I also don't want to just eat a muffin because that is just a cupcake without frosting. I want something healthy. So what I've been enjoying is just reaching into my fridge and pulling out a cold bottle of Soylent. I have really been into, well, I've also had, I haven't talked to y'all about this one, about the Soylent squares. There's these small little squares and they're big on nutrition, but these little Soylent squares, they're delicious. They're balanced, about 100 calories, complete nutrition bar, and it can be taken on the go really, really tiny. Like to take if I'm gonna run to the park or run to go see a boy. <laughs> Let me just eat my Soylent. I don't wanna uh, eat too much or I don't know. Um, anyways, it's really great in between meals. I've been snacking on these, uh, especially if I don't wanna ruin my dinner. Um, or just that thing in the morning. So those Soylent Squares, soup's delish, but you can't go wrong with the complete energy as well. It's got all those vitamins and just the thing that you need. So you don't always have to have coffee and you can get nutrition in your belly, ready to go. And all you had to do was go to the kitchen. It's that easy. So you can go to Soylent.com slash minority and use code minority to get 20% off your first order. Again, that's Soylent.com slash minority and code minority for 20% off your first order. Soylent, Soylent, ba-da-da-da-da-da, Soylent, Soylent. Schmanners. Noun. Definition. Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? We all know the story of boy meets girl, but what about girl meets girl? Or maybe boy meets girl and then meets another girl? What? Well, with Dipsy, the stories continue beyond the initial meetup. Come hear what happens behind closed doors. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on, which you know you've been needing through this very dry, dry Pandemola Anderson, Pandemi Lovato. Each Dipsy audio story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios, so you feel like you're right there. Ooh, hot, steamy, yes. And if you need to wind down, Dipsy also has wellness sessions, sensual bedtime stories, and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. Wee, 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 wee. That's like a sexy sleep sound, because that's how you know they will be getting you. So for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash minority. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash minority. Once again, dipseastories.com slash minority. 
Oh, we're back. Okay. All right. Well, we're continuing this celebration. What sort of beverage should we... We, we, you're bumping to some uh, Celia Cruz as uh, Lauren was on her way. Oh yeah, I was, I was Kimbara. And we have actually highlighted Celia, Celia Cruz in the past already. So enough about her. Although there never could be enough about. There Celia could Cruz. never be enough about her. Mm. I just, I love that she was Afro Latino mm. and, and she came to the United States. Yeah. And she really, she really gave New York, especially that that salsa vibrancy, right? Her and, and Hector Lavo. Well, and she also was like this queer icon. She was like home for so many queer kids. Like we are, they were just attracted, was like shiny and she just embraced like the community. So she was an icon for so many different groups of people and communities. So we're going to highlight a few Latinx LGBTQ folks that maybe you don't know about and you should. So, and we're going to see how many we're going to, this is a oh, testing no. you. I'm just, no, Laura. Y'all, we're not y'all, I, I don't know if I'm going to pass this one. We're just, we're out. We all are just going to educate ourselves. But if there is a trivia event that happens a few weeks later, y'all better pass. That's <laughs> now, then there's no excuse after that. Educate your allies. Exactly. So the first one is Ronaldo Aranas. Aranas. Ronaldo. It's been a long time since I've had Spanish class. Uh, Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Aranas. Yeah, nailed it. So he was a poet and a novelist, and he was at one point in prison because of his homosexuality in his native Cuba. That makes so sense in Cuba. He was in Cuba, Cuba, and they were like, you get in prison, gay boy, or the equivalent. It's the disruption. It's a disruption to society, right? You can't handle it. It's too fabulous. And you know what? Usually, if someone's uncomfortable about your queerness, it's because they're uncomfortable about their own. So, Arrhenius escaped in 1980. He was like, I got to get out of this. There was a mass exodus that was happening um, as the Marielle boat lift had entered the United States. Um, he joined Fidel Castro's revolution uh, earlier before that as a teenager in Havana in 1961. So before he was down with the cause, he was like, okay, I got you, Fidel. And then when he was living out his best life, they were like, okay, we got to put you away. He was also a researcher in the Jose Marti National Library from 1963 to 1968. Jose Marti. Um, but his, so uh, Ronaldo uh, Reñas, their work includes Otra Vez El Mar, La Vieja Rosa, Celestino Antes del Alba. I now want to read all of these books while I'm on vacation. Ooh, see, you were like, what will I read when I go on holiday? And now you got a list. I know, but I got to read them in Spanish. Ooh. There's the see now you're elevating. So they were true activists. Uh, they were true artists, activists. They really had that combination between their art and their politics. It just all was in the same heart. Um, and the Alberto Morales, who is the national press secretary for special projects, they said, whether in his life or in his literature, his life projects were to live as a fully liberated man and to do so, as his famous autobiography is titled "Before Night Falls." He also went on and said that he stands as a testament for how to lead a full life, especially if one lives uh, mired in the bog of oppression, right at the forefront of the fight of freedom and dancing at the center of all that delights. That is so beautiful. I bet the it's even more beautiful in Spanish. Oh, 100%. The bog of oppression. Woof. 
I think that's where I am spending most of my life up in this bog of oppression, but at the same time, dancing at the center of all that delights because you're in this bog and you're like, but we still dancing and living our best lives. He was though, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, aside from being a job. And, and especially, yes, aside from that. Um, and then just, I mean, just again, I was glad I was born in the year that I would, would not have wanted to have been born a second earlier. Like, you know, not a second earlier. Definitely not. Definitely this not. Does not I, get better. <laughs> further you go back I'm always go. like, oh, these younger people. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm happy right where I am. Okay, number two. I'm really excited to celebrate this one. I can't believe we haven't celebrated him before. Maybe we have, but we're going to celebrate him again. Pedro Zamora. Good old Pedro. Pedro was a Cuban-American activist and one of the first openly gay men living with AIDS to appear on television. Oh. Um, he was on MTV's The Real World San Francisco here. Uh, 1993. Woof. I just, I remember that season I don't so remember much. San Francisco. I was very into Seattle. Talk. Very into New York. Well, because we were about, because uh, we, we were about eight years old about uh, this. Yeah, 1993. So about eight. And it's because I started watching The World early because my mom, my mom had me when she was 23. And so, you know, what's a 23-year-old got to watch on TV? MTV. Yeah. So yeah. I remember The World New York. I remember, and my brother is five years older than me. So, yeah. he, you know, he was watching. He was these. already ready he, for that. Yeah, he was already watching it. So, I just remember watching these, this show and like this story of, of Pedro was, I think, really revolutionary at the time because, you know, we're a decade into the AIDS epidemic and Pedro really helped to put a human face to someone living and surviving at the time with with AIDS, um, you know, passed away. But um, he also just did really great work. He also showed to many people who uh, did have HIV or AIDS that like it wasn't that you could still live a life and he was an educator um he helped raise so much awareness and and just attention he just did such amazing work and had a huge impact on the lgbtq plus community and really had to go off to the real world in general on those early days and years because even norman who was on the real world new york was like the first at the time he was like i'm bisexual right. um and but that was such a huge deal i think that like was like the first I want to say it was like the first gay kiss on television. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was one of the first Huge. Ones. Yeah. Absolutely huge. I mean, it, it's interesting to, to even have this conversation with younger folks who are like reality TV. And I'm like, yeah, you don't even remember what it was no like. Yeah. I mean, it was really, and that was back in the day when it was, it was, it was just enough. And this is how much things have somewhat changed. It was enough just to get seven strangers who are from different parts of the country to live with each other and let the storylines unfold. They didn't have to do anything Nicole. crazy. They didn't have to be like, now you're all competing for a job on a radio station, but there's only three positions. Like <laughs> they luck. did that shit in Seattle to like create drama. They could have given them all jobs at the radio station. There was enough. They're right. like only three. Can you imagine going home? Or they could have just done a regular interview process, right? Like they didn't need to create drama amongst all of these people. But back in the early days, it was just enough. But at that, as they went on, I remember reading an article from uh, um, one of the head producers, Mur Murray, because it was Bunum and Murray. Anyways, um, yeah, they were just saying how like they had to keep finding ways to like add in like the tension and things like that. Because after a while, people would, you know, 
we're seeing, oh, living with someone who's different than me, it's, you know, not the end of the world and right. we're already there. But starting but, to break down those barriers too, right? With really race, was doing the work. Yeah, yeah, especially that first season of Real World New York, they were having some deep conversations. And I've talked about this before in the show podcast, but really recommend the Real World New York reunion because I still have not watched it. Oh, I've been talking about this for months. I know. And you were like, watch it while you're on break. And I did it's like 29 million other things. It's episodes. It's so good. And they revisit the, the conversations. And really, it was, I think, a love, like an apology. MTV doing an apology to Kevin of like, you were right. We were wrong. And we portrayed you as this angry black man. And we're catching up to you. You about were right. Time. And then, of course, Becky, who her real name is Becky, was just the... T- it's just interesting how it switched because it was just like, oh, this white woman is wilding out and oh she's the problem she's the issue not him right 100% so Pedro to close the loop on him uh, he testified I'm very much in the HR world we use that phrase a lot we're gonna close the loop on this Uh, we're gonna we're gonna oh not that (laughs) we don't use testify in HR close the loop close the loop that makes sense (laughs) oh we testify all the time in HR I'm a testify here's what he did um uh, y'all better praise him. So <laughs> Pedro testified before Congress arguing wow. for more accessible HIV AIDS literature. Um, and when the show concluded, he continued to push using that platform that had elevated. He continued to push for federal HIV prevention and care. Um, and his work was eventually uh, acknowledged by President Bill Clinton. Just, And this is a time when it was like, this is don't ask, don't tell. Right. Like. And I think that's important. It comes back to the the, the legalization, right? It's not legalizing it, right? Because it's yeah. you know, it's not a thing. I, I guess people do legalize it. But it's that acceptance, yes. right? Yeah. And by pushing and pushing and pushing and making it more accepted, it now creates a platform for people to get the care that they need. Right. I mean, because mind you, Ronald Reagan ignored this for like eight years. But we I need another podcast for that. <laughs> I will say, but you know what, Ronald Reagan, every time I, and when I'm talking about like the history of like uh, a cultural like heritage month, it usually starts off as one week. And this happened with AAPI and Latinx Heritage Month. Ronald Reagan was the one to make it a full month. Both of those. Interesting. I know. Yeah. I have, anyway. a qu- I have questions about that. <laughs> what was he up to? Um, Actually, which bill was it wrapped into? Oh, was it just like tacked onto another look bill? Look at you. Uh, and maybe it they was be like sneaking things in there the and they, they be sneaking some stuff in there like well you gonna cut out all these folks <laughs> and run crack through these neighborhoods but, but you, you better get a hispanic heritage mud. <laughs> right <laughs> there you go look we did it okay uh Chevella vargas uh vargas was a mexican singer known for her renditions of mexican rancheras her first album noche de bohemia was released in 1961 she went on to record more than 70 albums, and so many speculated about her sexuality. Um, they, you know, people, people be knowing sometimes, you know. <laughs> but she didn't come out until the age of 81, which I still That's think is so always, sad. But I, at least she was able to speak her truth at right. some point. But you're so right. Like, what a life unmissed. But at the same time, she would not have been able to do 70 albums had she been out. Then I'm like, great, you go over here. That's such a trade-off that I think people of color make all of the time. Or Ro- Whitney Houston. Right, that's true. That's true. If she would have ran off with Robin, we wouldn't be dancing with somebody. 
Uh, we probably would have because she that was album telling first. us that she wanted to dance with somebody and that Oh was my god. Robin. Wow, that's right full circle. Wow. What if you if you think about but think about all I have a question then. Is she every Robin? woman? Can we talk about that? Mm, like, maybe she wanted to be with every woman. I I think we're like, uh, I will always love you. What if, if what if I don't, most I, of these that's songs? That's actually, that's a Dolly Parton song. No, I know, but gotta, what if she was singing it with all of her heart to Robin? Maybe. You know? I think that, to me, that I'm every woman song, maybe this is why I was singing it out loud. It's because <laughs> black women do all the things. We are oh, every woman. Yeah. We are every I woman. Mean, that is the theme song of like. Now and be who driving home singing like. Just <laughs> window every home. woman. It's all in <laughs> Matt better watch out. I want you kicking it out the door and just being like, bacow. <laughs> Oh wait, back to uh, back to uh, Vargas Shavala um, was revolutionary and on so many way- levels because uh, you know she was just this queer icon because she wasn't afraid to push boundaries and to express herself and it's one of those things that people always kind of suspected right right kind of like a Queen Latifah like people always oh, kind yes. of you know yeah. we think it? so but... class closet right you know um, okay so I love this fact. In conservative mid-20th century Mexico, she would sing love songs written for men to women and then would refuse to change the pronouns. And so when she came out, people were like, duh. Yeah, you know. Seems on brand. Yeah. On brand. She's like, oh, yeah, I'll just, no, no, no. They're like, oh, we'll change it. She's like, no, 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 no. I'm just going to keep singing this about a woman. I don't want to. You know, and I respect the art. And then uh, I fucking love that. But also she was in hiding. And I think that's the part that's like very challenging. You know who the other person that it reminds me of a little bit? I don't know if this person is queer or not. Nina Simone. Oh, yeah. Constantly, Mm -hmm. constantly battling her own set of demons. Oh, yeah. Um, That documentary about Nina Simone. We've talked about her on the podcast before. Which documentary have you seen? Oh, I am Nina. It was a. I was there a, were two of them, and they came out at the same time. Oh, one was backed by the family, and one was not. I definitely watched the one backed by the family. That's the one I saw. I actually watched it. Actually, the day that Lemonade dropped was the oh, day I was actually yeah. watching with the at the exact time that the album Lemonade dropped. I was in the theater watching Nina Simone's. Uh, oh. It was so. I went and saw it by myself. It was yeah. so good. Oh, it was just amazing, and just such a troubled. Not a trouble, but just had, again, battling demons and didn't, we yes. don't have the mental health to support her from what she was, you know, experiencing. I like, mean, this is really the first time we're having a conversation that big about mental health, yeah. right? No, you're right. It is. It is new. Um, but to uh, testify or close the loop about Vargas, she <laughs> said, I am proud that I do not owe anybody anything. And it is wonderful to feel free. Now I have the desire to lie down to death's lap. And I am sure that will be quite beautiful. So that was like towards the end of her life and her because she had come out and she just is like this, you know, inspiration. So I. All right. So Ray Navarro, you know, Ray Navarro. Well, you about to. You're not. (laughs) I'm not. You're not. This isn't. You are not. (laughs) Lord is such an AP A plus student. I am (laughs) y'all. I first of all didn't tell you what my topic was going to be until you came here, and I purposely didn't share any articles or links with you because I didn't want you looking up any of this information so you could just get it fresh. So (laughs) I'm being surprised, y'all. You were doing. I'm. I'm, I don't know if I'm doing well on this pop quiz. You were doing exactly what you were supposed to be doing and just taking this all in. I am. So the first one. So this is Ray Navarro. Ray Navarro was a Chicano video activist and artist. 
co-founded the Latino caucus of the organization ACT UP in New York City. And so ACT UP was very influential in terms of that like... Sounds, that's why his name sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So was, and ACT UP was like, you know, very... Um, I would equate it... It was a very... I don't know if this is a right equation, but it would be similar to if like, like a queer Black Lives Matter in a sense, because it was really getting people like um, awaken to the people who were dying from AIDS because it was this invisible vi death that was happening. No one was talking about right, it. Right. And so they were very like they were taken to the streets. I'd actually say like they were actually a little bit more they were a little bit more guerrilla and like aggressive in their approach than I would say Black Lives Matter because they would like go into like conventions they would because they would be the ones like doing the catering and stuff like that and so they would like let people in to like these like rich ass events and like get in there and then like do glitter bombs on people and stuff it was their they were getting arrested i got glitter bombs i'd just be like yo i made it but yeah so they were very again just trying to bring and you know getting people's attention my therapist was a part of act up um but Ray uh, documented HIV and AIDS um, community activism, including ACT UP Stop the Church demonstration, which happened at St. Patrick's Cathedral against Cardinal O'Connor's position on AIDS and contraception. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. I recall this. This is why I no longer embrace religion. Um, this is the thing that you're like, I'm out. Um, I think for me, um, two things. One is not embracing contraception. Oh, right. Yeah. That, that, that's big for me as a woman. Um, like I own the right to do mm -hmm. what I need to do with my body. Um, and I think for me, so I, I went to Catholic school and oh, like, right. my, yes, my senior year of high school, I guess two things come out of this next bullet point. One is, I think this is the first time I'm really saying this in a very public forum, but like my senior high school guidance counselor told me I'd never be successful as an engineer and as a runner. And I think Whoa. it's I think it's really telling that I continue to do both of both those, of those, those things, things. Yes, twenty years later. Yes, yeah. go off. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You need to. I like now want to put you on tour and just to say this. <laughs> just that I one mean, line. I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna come by for my parade on Saturday. I will be throwing that, you an <laughs> "I'm Every Woman" parade. Yes, every I love Saturday. It. We're wake up the whole neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, wake up! Laura's coming by. She's every woman. Get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and then the other thing was we read this book, Meeting the Living God. I'll never forget that because they talk about the five ways that society tries to influence you in the first half of the book. Mm. And then they take those things and they use them to influence you uh -huh. to do this religion thing. And I was like, wow, like, it feels just, like religion is lying to me. Well, it seems I like so many questions. And then it seems like they kind of, it would be like if you watched the wizard of Oz and the first scene you saw was the man behind the curtain. Yeah. And then they're like, now we're going to go meet the great Oz. You were like, no, I already saw what he is. <laughs> I knew, I know Dorothy. What no, just go click your heels. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> it is. It's a lot like that. I never thought of that. It's a great oh, analogy. Good. Yeah. Well, um, well, I, well, you would have gotten, along with Ray Navarro because he was right down with it and his work helped to center the need for activism in the fight against HIV AIDS and the Latinx communities uh, he's also a member of Diva TV also known as Demand Interfering Video Activists mm. I love that one we need to can I adopt that somehow um, and they were and they were also a gay and lesbian video activist collective that were founded back in New York City 1989 okay and so there were many other uh, Latinx LGBTQ activists and historical figures that live within 
like the intersections of both identities and help push for LGBTQ plus equality. Um, and so, you know, he was one of many uh, of these folks, but just highlighting, highlighting him. And to close out for his little section, uh, you know, he says that there is a force within society that cannot be contained. Call it queer theory. Clearly, no one could have predicted the visual representation of this theory. So I have a question as a black Latino person. Yeah. An Afro-Latino person, right? He's saying that the queer theory um, is the force within popular culture. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've... I, I can't believe this quote comes from Jay-Z, but it's been reiterated a number of times. I don't know if people know it comes from Jay-Z originally, but American culture is nothing without black culture. Without oh, yeah. without without black culture, American culture does not exist. Oh, yeah, 100%. I say that regularly. Um, I regularly quote Jay-Z. Probably not the only one I use. Um, <laughs> we didn't even talk about the other thing um, that I had. We'll circle. You'll yeah, come back. You'll I'm come sure back. there'll be more on it later. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to hear him say that because I know that so much of queer culture comes from the black community. And it's just interesting how it comes starts in the black community. I mean, great example is people saying yes, girl. Oh my god, yeah. Like, like so much of like especially pop culture ballroom like has like impacted all of our culture because then like we go and then we help our other like artists and our communities and whatnot and they just but then we get left behind and we don't get get our roses. That's why yes. HBO Max is legendary. It's such an amazing show because it's a reality competition that's on ballroom and it's like 10 houses oh, competing and it's beautiful and amazing. And you just hear their stories and it's these folks who like never get their roses. They never get like their accolades and that's all they've ever really wanted was to they and that's a lot of ballroom is like they want see me. I am important. I am loved. Mm-hmm. I have a community and family that supports me for being who I am like. I am worthy. Of course they're um, worthy. Yeah, but they, they had to create this underground community because society is like, fuck you. Yeah, like, yeah. and we do that to a lot. We do that to a lot of different groups um, as an American society. It's, it's, it's so juxtaposing to watch Americans, particularly white Americans, stand up and say, I'm so accepting, and then turn around and be like, well, no, you can't sit with us. Yeah, story, that is the story. That is the story. So, okay, two more. Two more, two more. Let's do it. So this is another exciting one. I love it. I love that I'm getting to help learn you about some stuff here today. Uh, Jose Julio Saria. So, well, this is maybe going to spoil this for you. I really want to be able to see these names because I'm wondering how how the pronunciations are going on. You get out of here. You get out of here. Maybe I should have shared the doc with you. (laughs) Anyways, we'll link it in the show notes for everybody so you can see it. I'm pretty sure I'm doing pretty well with this. Um, What's a double R? What is that? Serra. Okay. Jose Julio Serra. Jose Julio Serra. Serra. There we go. Together we did it. So question for you. Who was the first openly gay person to run for office in the United States? I'm going to go Jose Julio Serra. Ding, 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 ding. Look at you. You didn't even I'm study. So smart. <laughs> You're doing so well. Proving wow. my guidance counselor wrong all along. Yeah. You're running laps around her. Um, Him. Oh, them. Him. Oh, I should have known. Oh, Catholic God. school, of course. <laughs> you ain't going to be nothing. You ain't going to do nothing. Women don't do that. Women don't do that. 
I know. I can't believe it. He was like, you're not going to run and you're not going to do anything with computers. Like, And you're like, I love doing these things. And he's like, fuck your dreams. <laughs> Go home. And I've been very <laughs> successful at both things. What did he suspect? What did, did he have a suggestion for what else? So um, I went to one of the top engineering schools in the country, um, which means that the course curriculum was very rigorous. And I think his concern when he said that was that I would not be able to balance both collegiate running because it wasn't like I just, you know, got up and ran and like went for my regular run like I do now. Um, but it was collegiate co- competition alongside studying engineering, mm. which is already in and of itself. Even if you go to say Rutgers, for example, my cousin went to Rutgers. He'd started out in like the physics program or engineering and he played baseball. But that didn't work out for him because Rutgers is a D1 school. I went to a D3 school, which helps a lot. Um, but the programming is so rigorous, even at a school like Rutgers that, you know, isn't like MIT or Cornell or, you know, uh, Cal Poly. It's not like any of those schools. Um, didn't even mention the school that I went to. Um, <laughs> being polite. Um, but uh, it, start it, put, putting it together. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I think he was concerned about the rigor of it all and how mm. it would wear on me. It's interesting, like now as I'm saying this and like our earlier conversations about where I am in my career, uh, it almost is like it prepared me for what I'm encountering now. Like, how do I take these pieces and fit them all together? Uh, And it might be the reason that I'm able. (laughs) So it's interesting. My friend at work, my girlfriend at work told me I showed I showed everyone my desk today. She said it's exactly how I'd imagine it to be. Everything has a spot. and It's very organized. Uh, and, And part of that is reflects in my ability to do my job yeah no that makes sense and i i think you i mean you lemonated this like you took like this someone was like you can't be nothing do nothing oh girl that i mean i chopped that tree down and i burned a fire with it as as queen bay says best revenge is your paper and that's what you did you're like oh i'm not gonna be nothing great i'm gonna go do all these things you said i couldn't do similar to i would imagine jose julio um who you were right they were a political activist longtime drag performer and get this they were a veteran who served in germany in world war ii that sounds very challenging for someone who is part of the queer community. Oh my gosh. Like this is not again, glad I was born when I was. So what year was that? This is so this is like nineteen they were in World War Two, so this is like the nineteen forties. Okay, okay. So Yeah. So not really widely accepted at the time. <laughs> no, nowhere. Right. Not right. at all. Time period. Uh and then they go through the fifties, of course, which is like the lavender scare. Like it's just you know where being queer is associated with communism and you're murdered and killed and that's where we get a lot of our um anti-gay agenda is is, is from that time period um but so they had planned to become a, a a teacher but they just fell in love with performing in drag and so in the early 60s san francisco had just become this you know political hotbed of environment and you're just seeing a lot of gay activism happening and so Julia was like, let me go on, on over here and then became the first openly gay person to run for public office. This is predating Harvey Was this Milk. in San Francisco? This was here. I knew it had to be. Seeking a seat, a seat here on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Um, the best. I love the board. I, I have a love-hate relationship with the Board of Supervisors. We yeah. won't go there. But I'm grateful that we have that space of supervisors. It seems like, you know. I mean, our place. current mayor, London Breed, uh, came from the Board of Supervisors, I, if I'm not mistaken. She not 
knocked on my door and was like, will you vote for me? I'm like, yes, girl. <laughs> <laughs> you had me at, I'm a black woman. You had me when I opened up the door. You, you ain't me. have to speak. Just I hand me the flower. Yeah, yeah. Just hand me the flower. When's the election? I'm here. Give me a stack of these. I'm going to go throw them around. Like, And I have so many people, usually white boys here in San Francisco, who want to try to like come for London breed. And I'm like, y'all just don't get it. She's running a different race and lane than everybody else. It's just so interesting to see like the articles pop up. Like there was one in SF Gate recently about her being massless at a comedy show. And I was like, Every comedy show you go to in San Francisco, you have to, you're required to be vaccinated. So yeah. why would she be wearing a mask? Yeah, okay. Like if they've done their job and everyone was honest about what they've been up to, you know. The other thing is, I'm sure she gets COVID tested at least once a week. I was gonna say every 20 minutes. I mean, probably. I mean, she's not the president, are- so maybe daily. <laughs> oh, you're right. That's true. At least daily. Yeah. Um, so they, so Julio was saying that like, you know, that they had a right to run for office, that they were angry, they were mad, um, and they never hid anything about themselves. They were living their best true life. And, uh, this had actually started because, uh, uh, Julio was making political jokes during the performance and then it just grew into full-fledged activism. Like it just, they turned that comedy into just doing something else. And this was a time when there was a lot of harassment, uh, p- police harassment towards the LGBTQ community. Um, and Julio really encouraged his crowds to be proud of who they were, stand up to the to them. And this also goes back to like when folks side eye the police right now marching in pride parades were like, I don't in their full uniform. There's a there's a history there that we need to uh, address right. um, that hasn't been fully healed or, or, or talked about. Last thing I want to highlight that Julio did is they founded what's now the international court system. Um, and so what this is, it's an association of charitable organizations that raises money uh, for primarily gay causes. And so um, there's an imperial, I don't know if you know this, there's an imperial gay court where there's like a, an imperial duchess and you run um, and you serve for like a year and there are 65 chapters in the United States, Canada and Mexico. So it's this other sort of underground that we have a gay court there is literally a gay this is amazing court. is it like way better than what happens in the uk because <laughs> that is a hot mess yeah well you with, the, with this court system too is like you you run so you're not court for like life or whatnot but you are like the imperial like someone's like i'm running for duchess of san francisco and or D- duke and duchess and I almost feel like now I'm like, oh, this is so fun. Mm-hmm. And then, and, but you've also like, you've got work to do. So if you, yeah. you know, win, you've, you're helping to do fundraising and things like that. So I didn't realize that Julio was the one that had uh, started this <laughs> last one. Cause I want to get uh, some, I want to get some, um, um, some queer women up in this mix. So yeah. G- Gloria Evangelina and Zaldua. So yeah. Gloria, Keep it there. Gloria Evangelina uh, was cultural scholar, Chicana theory, queer theory, feminist theory, all the good ones. So she a lot of Chicanos in your uh, list here. Yeah, that's uh, where we're sort of staying. So to highlight, there was not a lot of LGBTQ Afro Latinos that I had found for this week, but there's always for next week. So I think if I can interrupt here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, uh, Gloria. On hold, Gloria. We'll get back to you. Um, I think that has to do with two things. Um, Colorism. Yes, but think about how, if you're Afro-Latino, how in the black community being queer, even still to some degree, is very hard to accept from the community itself. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of challenge there. Um, 
I remember years back reading the like my one of my best friends. We were chatting about this about the the gayest city in America, and like which city. And he's like, oh, it's definitely San Francisco. And I was like, I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> um, and Atlanta was like three or four, yeah. and he was like Atlanta. And I was like, I bet there are a lot of undercover people in Atlanta mm-hmm. because yeah. a lot of people just don't want to be they, they're not ready to come out of the closet they're not ready, and because there's not a wide acceptance in the community yeah so i think that's one and then two a lot of mexicans have ha- always had the easiest access to mm-hmm. the united states um just thinking from my own experience um and my family coming here i think they came by boat don't quote me on that um but a lot of Panamanians came here in the forties and fifties. They came after world war two. And I would suspect that that's true for Colombians, um, Ecuadorians and a lot, a lot of culture. And I would say almost, I don't even think that's true for like Dominicans who don't even live that far. I would say the influx of Dominicans comes even later than that. Yeah. So really from a lot of other areas of Latin America, you're not getting those influx flu those influxes the way you would for Mexican citizens. One, because it is actually just that much harder. We like Panamanians just can't get up and walk across the border. No, nope. can't do that. Um, uh, so th- I think that's one. And then two, like there just wasn't the means to come to the United States from those other countries. Yeah. Yeah. No, true. And two, I think it, once you're here, it sometimes takes a few generations to get fully acclimated to be able to live your true selves because that's sometimes true. you're just trying to survive or like blend in or just, you know, just trying to like, you know, survive. So, and I will say that we have done some in the past or we've, a lot of it, a lot of the folks that we've highlighted in the past before that are uh, Latinx or Afro Latino, um, that are queer or in the drag scene or in the in the in the drag culture as well, and we did not go down that pathway today. But nonetheless, Gloria Evangelina, uh, in her semi autobiographical book Borderlands: La Frontera, uh, she the new mestiza consists mestiza. Oh, see, this is why you are here. You're my new uh, Spanish tutor. Um, the new mestiza. Better read these books on vacation. <laughs> it consists of prose and poems detailing the invisible borders that exist between Latinx and non-Latinx people, gender, sexualities, and other groups. I need to read her. Her writings draw on her experiences as a lesbian, a Chicana, an activist, and a native of the border town of Harling. Harlingen, Texas. Um, and she says that the borders are set up to define the places that are safe and unsafe to distinguish for uh, for us from them. And then she also Still says, true. yeah. And then she also says that there's a border. It's, it's a dividing line. It's a narrow strip along the steep edge. And a borderland is a vague and undetermined place created by the emotional residue of an unnatural boundary. And it is in a constant state of transition they prohibited and for forbidden and its inhabitants. And so just a great person to, you know, been doing a lot of work and a lot of great writings just to, to round it out there. And uh, yeah, we're going to stop there. And I do want to put a highlight of who we'll be talking about next week. I'm going to do a whole entire episode on this person to give you a little teaser. It's going to be on Emilio Robles. Do you know what Emilio Robles? Did he make wine? Because all I think about is possible bullies. And that's probably, probably not right. So, Emilio Robos, this is going to be a great one, is an Afro-Mexican um, who was born Emilia Robos, and they fought in the Mexican Revolution. 
Girl, you talking that California Spanish. It's Robles. I'm not there. Well, I we have a lot of California listeners. <laughs> Robles, Robles, Robles. Okay. It's Paso Robles, and and Robles is Robles is oak in Spanish. Oh, Emilio Oak. Emilio, yes, Emilio Robles. So Emilio Robles, I uh, fought in the Mexican Revolution as a male zap. Zapatista Colonel Zapatista 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 Colonel becoming the first transgender soldier in the Mexican military uh, in Mexican military history so that's who we're going to highlight next week I'm going to do a whole corner just on them because they need the runway for it so interesting see there we go we're getting that Afro-Mexican into the picture and I bet Afro-Mexican yeah there's a line fighting in the Mexican revolution as a transgender person I mean, that's what we will be talking about it all next week. All right. Well, that is the show. And, you know, Lauren and I, we just get to Gavin. So we'll have to continue this conversation next week. Lauren is going to dive into society's over-indexing on gender. Oh, yes. We are going into it. So that is tuning in for next week. So tune in for that. (laughs) Can I say tune in again? I sure can. Tune in. It's starting to sound like tuna. Anyways, well, thank you to our wonderful editor, Sarah Brown, editor slash producer, and Lori Fowler, production coordinator, keeping everything coordinated as you do. And thank you to all of our wonderful Maximum Fun members and supporters and all of our listeners because there's no show without you. We love you. We appreciate you. And we'll see you back next week. Lauren Carter will be back. And thank you all for listening to Minority Corner because together we're the majority. Love ya. Be well. Take care of you. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.